This is Michael Schenker from Scorpions Hero of All, MSG and Temple of Rock. You are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott's here. And Richie. And believe it or not, we are actually, after I don't know how many damn months, actually six. in the same place. Six. <laughs> Is it six? <laughs> six actually, months. I think the last time we were in the same place was we were up at the Tupelo for Jeff Tate. February. <laughs> so it's March, April, May, June, July. Yeah, six months. Yeah, holy crap. So, wait, what's been going on in six months? <laughs> but but I, I'm, I'm glad you came down. I've, I've been... Uh, I've been looking forward to just having you back in the studio, getting you on the mic, and, yeah. and just shooting the shit. And uh, it's absolutely great to have you back down here and uh, you know, recording yet another episode of Focus on Metal. And as usual, um, Richie came up with a great idea. I, I And it, I think we also have a reasonable amount of weeks, so we're not kind of jumping on the bandwagon with this either. But uh, why don't you roll it out? Um, few people have died. A few musicians and producers have died since we last spoke. Yeah. In February, and I believe Keith Olsen passed around then. Uh, Brian Howe, um, yeah. uh, Paul Chapman from UFO, Pete yeah. Way, and of course Pete Frankie Way. Benali just passed. Yep. And Martin Birch right. passed away in his early 70s. Uh, I still don't think they've uh, revealed what, what the no, they haven't, reason no. for death was. Yeah. Um, and that got me thinking... Uh, why don't we do a full discussion episode with no interviews uh-huh. and the two of us just pick our our top five albums that Martin Birch either produced or engineered. And I got to tell you, that was, that's a bitch to pick. It really is. It is, big time. Be, be, you know, <laughs> and, and like I had told you when we were texting back and forth, like I think I've got it to where I'm not repeating. I tried to restrict myself and not take like, you know, five Maiden albums or, you know, I try to restrict it to like one per band type of type of a thing too, but it is tough because the you know the body of work. I mean, there's, there's producers that have produced more albums than Martin. Uh, Keith Keith Olson comes to mind, but um, just the the impact and the and the, the the number of like truly classic legendary albums the guys produced is amazing. Yeah, with you all know? these different bands. Right. And and there's so many of them that are that either had a big influence on me or or um they were they were a game changer like kind of in my musical headspace or you know there's just lots of reasons for a lot of his albums. And yeah. it's like it's like it's a great idea but it's like holy crap. No. <laughs> I don't know yours and right. you don't know mine. Correct. Um I will say I did not pick a live album. I did not pick a live okay, album. So that's live after death out of it. And live in Japan. And yes. live in Japan. Yeah, and, and and that was too because it's 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 I, I kind of group those differently. I love live albums and you know, there's classic maiden live albums and classic purple albums and you know, all of that, but I think he had the biggest effect and influence more in the studio and that a lot of the live albums were more or less, well, he's the guy who's been producing us. So he's going to produce the live album too. What the heck? He's used to the material and all that. So I just thought that that just didn't really fall into kind of my sensibilities to pick a live album. Mm. So I didn't. When you think when he, when he stopped, I think Fear of the Dark was his last record in 92. 
Well, he did. He's done like a lot of. He did like a lot of compilation stuff and other stuff yeah, but too. Yeah, I mean, like a full studio True. record. I, I think. I, I think I, you're right. I, I think, think it's around there. I think Iron Maiden hired him. Pro- I think around the time of um, somewhere in time to just work for Maiden because I don't think he really did anybody else after that. And he was young when he retired. He would have would have been in his early forties. If you look, if you fear the dark, nineteen ninety two, he died in two thousand and twenty. Yeah, and he was in his early seventies, yeah. so he would have been in his early forties. That's young for a producer. It, it is, yeah. Some of these guys, they don't know anything else, and they just keep going until yeah. they drop. But he, I mean, he was still involved with a lot of projects and things, just not really, um, you know, doing that. But you also got to figure nineteen ninety two. Um, you start to have a fall off of a lot of like his particular what he'd like to concentrate on. With, with like hard rock and metal and that kind of mid-rangey sound and all that, that a lot of that you could probably see was not where, um, you know, the record-buying public was going and, and all of that. And so, he, you know, he probably had a sense of like, ah, I, th- I think I'm going to just I'll do what I know how to do and I'm not going to try to produce a sound garden or something like that, you know? Can you imagine what that would have sounded like, though? A guy like that would have been in demand. I don't care what, what genre he, he usurped the neck the, the one previously. A guy like that, he's, he's so good at producing. I could see him. No, actually, I can't. There's so much lower end basis to a band like Soundgarden. Um, you know, a lot of the grunge stuff, it really, it, uh, part of that whole move thing was you weren't really doing that mid range stuff. And it was something different. And that's part of why people were like, ooh. Because suddenly, you know, you have this, this mid-range is kind of the pleasing thing for the ear out of guitars, and it drops out, and you do notice there's something different, and then you, people just kind of, like, gravitate towards that for a while. And I think part of it was kind of a, a more of a fad thing. Um, what's interesting, though, is that, um, you know, some of the first songs that Nirvana put out, they actually still had that kind of crunchy mid-range, because Kurt was still using a lot of those classic guitar effects and things to drive his sound. But you look at a lot of the other bands that came after that, and they... You know, they really didn't have that same kind of tonality to the songs. And I don't think it was Martin's thing. I think if Martin had kept going, I reckon Lars Ulrich would have tapped him to do Metallica. I reckon Ozzy probably might have tapped him to do an Ozzy album. Maybe Ozzy. I don't know about Metallica. But Lars is a massive Deep Purple fan. He is. Huge. but, but, But really, there's not... You don't see a lot of the Purple influence in in Metallica. You know, even... Even the you know the fact those guys worship Shanker right and you know he's doing things like assault attack and so I still don't think they would have tapped him though I don't think he was the the right kind of producer for what they wanted to do because they were also so sonically different. Mm. Well, they were, and they were in bed with Bob Rock at that stage. As yeah, well. but you know this I think Bob had some ideas of how to handle that and I just think they were like again so sonically different to what Martin was used to doing. The guy's incredibly talented. But I still think it was not probably like in the, probably his most comfortable wheelhouse. Mm. And you have to think that when Maiden came back with Bruce, mm-hmm. maybe even before then, they probably asked Martin, would he do the records? Because you would have had Adrian back, Bruce back, uh-huh. get the old producer back. Yeah, possibly. And I think Kevin Shirley, the way he does it, it's very similar to Martin, that he captures the band. Yeah. Um wants the band to play as live as they can. Yep. yep. Um, does, he, he, he's the sort of producer, I don't think, that fixes a lot of stuff after it's done. You know, he, he, he wants to catch it he, yeah, he in the moment. He, he, 
He doesn't fix so much after it's done. I think he's one of those rare breed of producers that instead of saying, yeah, we'll fix it in the mix, it's like, let's work on this. Kind of like George Martin, you know, let's work on this mm-hmm. and, and get the parts right going into it and yeah. have the vision going into it. Now, of course, George Martin had a kind of an extra thing where, you know, if you're only dealing with four tracks, you got to have your shit together because <laughs> you're trying to dump down, you know. But still, I, th- I think Martin was kind of more that kind of a producer of let's see what you got. Let's, let's really get that vision out of it um, as you record. Mm. So – when you were doing your list, uh-huh. when you looked at the discography, um, did you get it down to ten and then narrow it to five? What 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 way did you approach it? I kind of well, I kind of made a list, and and I mean, there was one that just instantly was boom. It was that's it's like it just has to be there. Okay, and so each time I did it, it started with that every single time, um, and there's a reason for that. Um, and then then I was kind of made this list, and then it was like, oh crap. Like, I, I can't have five Iron Maiden albums on here. And they all have differences of why I think they're really great Martin productions. And, and it's like, you know, I can't have, um, you know, all these Rainbow albums on here. And I can't do this. And, and so it was kind of going and jogging back and forth, jogging back and forth. And, and you, you asked me a little while back, too. So I've kind of had a couple of weeks of going back and forth. And so that when we kind of narrowed it down, I'm like, okay, good. I'm gonna just going to coalesce my list and just go, yep, yeah, okay, this is this is where I think it is. Hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. Did you have to go back and listen to some of the albums again to narrow it down a bit? No. You didn't? Not no. at all? You're just so familiar with them all? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was I was the same. There was The one I picked for number one and the band I picked, it was always going to be number one. But even when we get to it, uh-huh. I, I, might, I might pull the trigger on another album from the same <laughs> band because the two of them are so close. Yeah. And then I got it down to six. Okay. And and I think I've got, yeah, I was like, I'm still, I, I'm still vacillating on <laughs> two. Okay. So I got it down to six and I'll tell you the sixth one. And I don't know if it's on your list or not. Slide It In was number six, hmm. and it's my favorite White Snake record. Mm-hmm. The reason I left it off is it's probably the same reason I left it off. It, it's kind of got the remix, and a couple of different guys came in and played on it. And right, like, exactly. I want an album that Martin produced from right. start and to so finish. So I looked at that That's one. His. That, that was that was on my short list. Yeah, and it was again, yes, because a crap load of people listening to this have never heard the Martin Birch version. Yeah, they've all heard the Keith Olsen version. That's the, with Sykes on it on Neil Murray. Yeah, so it's it's it's, and I love that album, but it's like, I really can't put that one because okay, I've heard that, but how many people really have? And um, you know where it stands in in the Cufferdale canon, it stands in that in that thing to my mind because of of the sonic stamp that Keith Olsen put on all of that work. And yeah. that's what broke it through. Like, like, you know, I remember when like, um, live in the heart of the city came out. Right. And I actually couldn't believe that, the, that the Cal, there wasn't even Cal. I can't remember even what it was then, but it was that they had it mm-hmm. because nobody around here had ever even heard a white snake, Yeah, you know? Um, and so you, I would, I thought that really then when slide it in would have, came out it would have had kind of the similar fate that you know they really weren't but i think slide it in is where people started going huh maybe a little with love hunter but it was like uh hey what's going on with this band you know and that's but i don't 
even though Martin, you know, if it had just gone and not gotten, you know, Americanized, it probably would have made my list. Yeah. But that's why I left it off. Yeah. Now, all these albums we're going to mention, um, for me personally, this is just my opinion. Yep. Right? The, yeah, the, mine too. A lot of the albums that we left off here, I love. Uh-huh. I absolutely love them. Yeah. But for various reasons, I, I didn't pick them. One reason would be it, it, it just had an effect on me when I was getting into right. metal. Right. right. Yeah, and there's things like that with me too. Like, uh, you know, on my initial list, I had Beckola. Okay. You know, and I love Jeff Beck. I'm yeah. a huge Jeff Beck fan. But as you went through it and stuff, I was like, okay, so it was like I, it it wasn't on my list because of or ultimately because of Martin. It was on my list because of Jeff Beck. Okay. And so it was like, no, it's not really um, not the same. So it, it came off my list. So yeah, even though it's mm-hmm. a great album. Right. So do you want to start? Sure. Um, we go. Are we are we counting up from the bottom? No, Is that I, what we're, we're doing. We we'll go five first. Right. We we'll go from five to one. That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, from the bottom. All right. So I'll I'll go first. Of course, Richie's all fancy. He like actually. I, I, have the, I, 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 have the I was gonna go and like pull albums out and and, and do it. The too. reason I have the stuff is uh, my eyes aren't what they used to be, so <laughs> I, I, I might need to look at a couple of things. Yeah. Right. So I can show Scott what the what the albums are. Uh huh. Right. So number five for me is this one. So it's Michael yep. Shanker's uh-huh. Assault Attack. Yep. From uh, 1982. Yep. Now. And it's and it's great. It's got Chris on it. It's got Ted McKenna on yeah. it. I mean, those are all those are great stuff. I love a couple of the tracks on there. I actually have that vinyl as well. Um, and I'm a huge Shanker fan. Hmm. Now, I'm probably a bigger Macaulay Shanker fan right. than Michael Shanker. Right. 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 But you had this album that came out in '82. You had Graham Bonnet replacing right. Gary. And Barber, that's my right? other thing on there is that Graham is definitely not my favorite singer. In the whole Shanker thing, it's you know Robin is pretty much up there, yeah. And then I think about about Gary and and I mean again, Graham's a great singer, but there's something even when we go when I the last two times I saw him with uh, with Shanker Fest, it was kind of like is he done yet? It just <laughs> so I don't know. So that was so yeah. Anyways, but it's a great album. And then you had. Ted McKenna replacing Cozy. Correct. You had Paul yeah, Raymond huge, was gone. Yeah, huge, huge shoes to fill with, with replacing Cozy. And, uh, but great. I mean, Ted's you know, awesome. And Ted with, with uh, Chris Glenn was an awesome rhythm uh, section. On this record, I, I think this record's amazing. I yeah. think this would be on my list for Desert Song alone. Uh-huh. That open side, too. Yeah. It is yeah. an amazingly structured song. Yep. It's just a fantastic hard rock song. It's just 10 out of 10. But there's some other tremendous stuff on the record. Broken yep. Promises, Assault Attack, Rocky to the Ground. It's the only album that Martin did with Michael, Yeah, which which is a pity because it's a fantastic sounding record. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of turmoil in the band at the time, new <laughs> members coming in, and, and they were still able to produce <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this. Yeah. Um, you had Graham, who wasn't really a, a hard rock singer. Right, yeah. Um, coming from Rainbow. Yep. Um, and if Martin had produced Down to Earth, I probably would have had that on the list as well. <laughs> that's my, yeah. But um, I, I just think this album is just incredible. Yeah, I no, really it is. Do. It is. It is. And, and actually, that was, that was vying for number five. <laughs> I mean, okay, it, it definitely was. Yeah, so who you got? Okay, so for me, for number five, BOC, Fire of Unknown Origin. Okay. 
it's i mean for one thing just the the to be able to take you know and that was i think that was the second one he did with boc but to be able to take that very interesting songwriting that they had and the 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 cast of characters that they had as well and all of their you know the writing and sandy perlman and like all that stuff around them and and then he was able to 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 somehow coalesce that and make such a strong album with that album and i mean obviously you know having burning for you on there which if you listen to it just the layers in there and the interplay with the instruments and stuff is it's like holy crap um but then also um you know Another one that was always a huge favorite for me as well was Joan Crawford. Okay. And, um, you know, whenever, as soon as I just, even if I just see, like, her name, like, in an article, that comes up in my head. It's just, it's that big for me. They were actually one of my really favorite bands, like, junior high, going into high school as well. And, and uh, I just thought that the other albums, like, this, that, I, I felt like that they're, they, like, change sound-wise when they got to, to Fire of Unknown Origin and, um... And then they kind of kept that sound for a little while, and uh, I just I just thought it was kind of a like a like a linchpin album for those guys. Okay, but yeah, I, I said originally it was that was vying with Assault Attack yeah. for my number five. But again, it's it's it, you know, and, and you kind of alluded to it at the beginning that a lot of these it's more that we they have kind of a um, an emotional history with each of us, you know, or a musical history, and there's something else behind that. But you know, it's also that. Um, you know, I know you you listen to albums as purely like just this huge music fan. So you also don't have like the the crazy shit that goes through my head, which is like, you know, how much of this crap is on the album? Yeah, like what pedals and guitars and, and, and pe- I don't give a shit. You know, and, and for me, like when uh, when the first Joe Perry project album came out, I think I probably mentioned this to you. Mm-hmm. On the back of that album. Joe lists every damn piece of gear, even all the studio gear, the board, the studio monitors, everything he lists on that liner notes. It was like, for me, that was almost like, you know, masturbatory to read that hmm. thing, you know? So, so I get into that whole part of, of not just, you know, the song and all that, but like, wow, how do they, how do they make this album? How do they do that? Yeah, I definitely, I, I like that one. The album covers a little weird with the kind of the weird alien dwarf people, but yeah, it's, uh, I thought, I, I don't know. That's my number five. Four. Number four is Rainbow's Long Live Rock and Roll. Uh-huh. Um, sorry, Bob. I know you probably wanted me to pick Bob Lombardi and you probably wanted me to pick Rainbow Rising. Uh-huh. Um, Only because of one song. Mm, <laughs> Side two, song one. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably one of the reasons that I picked this record over Rising. Um, Rising has some brilliant songs on it. It does. I don't, I don't think it's as consistent as mm-hmm. this one. Yep. Just my opinion. Yep. Um, Stargazer's is an amazing song. Terror Woman's an amazing song. Yes. I'm not going to lie. There's some brilliant songs on it. Oh, yeah. I just think this album as a whole uh-huh. is a better record. Yeah. And I think Martin just captured that band so well. Um, yeah. This, we, we had enough time to try. Yeah. I, mean. <laughs> I know. And again, he had to deal with Bob Daisley coming in to replace uh, Jimmy Bain. He had... Was it David Stone on keyboards replacing Tony Carey? Oh yeah, they, I mean there was a yeah, that was just kind of a the whole keyboard thing was just a rolling. Yeah, I think the cast. keyboard player just got the piss taken out of him, the practical jokes and and what have you. But I I listened to this album today in the car twice. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I I just put it on yeah. and then I just let it run and put it on again. Yeah. and 
It's got Long Live Rock and Roll on it, and it's got Gates of Babylon. Mm-hmm. And both of them are classics. And yeah. the, the, the instrumental section in Gates of Babylon with the solo and, and the Cozy's drumming was like, oh, my God. <laughs> just Mar- Martin just did a brilliant job capturing the band on this. Uh, Lady of the Lake's a fantastic song. Um, Sensitive to Light is where you can see the band maybe going in the more commercial direction that Rich, uh-huh. Richie would take them. Yeah. But then... You listen to Rainbow Eyes, the last track, and it's got a guitar, it's got like some strings, you know, it's got mm-hmm. a violin, and and you can see the medieval stuff that Richie would yeah. eventually go into. Yeah, but I mean, that's on every album, pretty much. Every Rainbow album, there's something yeah, but he throws in there. I, what I love about Rainbow Eyes is the way Ronnie sings on it. Mm-hmm. What Ronnie normally did after that was... He'd sing that for like a minute, and mm-hmm. then the big riff would come in, and yeah. then he'd go to the the real heavy voice. But this is seven minutes of him just singing. Really, he's got a quieter tone on his voice. Yeah, and Martin just did a fucking amazing job capturing all of this. Um, this album's fantastic. It is. Rising's fantastic it is. as well. But yep, I, it I, is. I picked this one. I just prefer this one slightly. <laughs> all right. So my number four. Mm-hmm. Rainbow, long live rock and roll. <laughs> that was one of the ones, and this is why when you when you start talking about it, because again, I initially I started with Ryzen, and then I looked at it and I went, you know, again, it's it's got Stargazer, it's like holy shit, you know, and then I I, I go back to the you know, and I go back to the first one, I go back to the second one, I go back and forth on those, and then you know I'm really thinking about it, and then I'm like, wait a minute, now and again, it's the same thing. So back when I had the charger and I had the CD player in there all the time, I would stick Long Live Rock and Roll in there, and I'd play that damn thing for a week. And, I mean, everything on there, I think that that's the album where I, you know, regardless of the personnel changes and all that, where it almost like they found a balance on that album. Mm-hmm. The other albums, if you, if you look at the tracks, and you, you know, sonically, they was, it was still amazing albums, but it it didn't seem like they quite knew where they were going. And this album seemed to be like the one to me where it all coalesced. And it's, it, again, it's from, from track to track, my opinion, this is the most listenable of the Ronnie era Rainbow albums is Long Live Rock and Roll. It just, it just, it just kind of has that. The others, they're, they're awesome. And you definitely have songs on there where you're like, oh, fuck yeah, when it comes on. But it, it doesn't speak to me the way that this one does. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of tracks on, on Rising. Uh-huh. I don't think anyone had ever picked them as being their favorite on yeah. that album. Yeah. Everyone goes to Stargazer. It's yeah. Stargazer. Right. With this record, I think there's more, there's more variation on it. That uh-huh. A lot of people might pick a more variation of tracks as their favorite. Yeah. Because I just think this one as a, as a whole is just cohesive. Yeah, it's a, again, it's a, it's a more cohesive yeah. album, and that was kind of my thing going going through the others and going, yeah, I love that track, I love that track, and I love I love how this did this, and I love where they were at and all that. And but again, I mean, even now after all this time, I can listen to that over and over and over again, and and just not get tired of it. It's just amazing, and I don't know why, Cozy you know, all of it, but. Um, it's just I, th- I think again they I think they hit their stride and they had the right person there with Martin to just be able to capture all that and fortunately he'd been working with them all that time up to then too so I think he you know he knew the personalities 
because you got some personalities in that band, you know? I mean, oh, between... <laughs> it's Rainbow. It didn't last. Ronnie right. was gone. Right. Um, Bob Daisley was gone. Uh-huh. Martin was gone. Yeah, yeah. Roger Glover came in, and then Graham Bonnet came in. Yeah. It's Rainbow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I know, definitely. And it's, but again, that was, yeah, that was my number four as well. And, and again, for a lot of the same reasons that you looked at it as well, but I adore that album. I really mm. do. Right. What are we on? Three. We're on three. Black Sabbath, Mob uh-huh. Rules. Amazing album. Um, not Heaven and Hell. Um, Heaven and Hell is an amazing record. I'm not going to lie. I listened to it a couple of weeks ago. I'm picking this album because I love the production on this. It's a little bit darker uh-huh. Heaven than Heaven and Hell. It's a little bit heavier, I think. Yeah. Um, it's got the sign of the Southern Cross on it. Yep. Which is a fucking amazing track. And when Dio came to Ireland in 2004 with Doug, I think he had Doug Rudy, he had Scott Warren and Simon Wright. And the first song they opened with was Tear a Woman. Mm-hmm. And I lost my shit over that. <laughs> but the third track they played was The Sign of the Southern Cross. Uh-huh. And I'd never seen him play it before. Yeah. And when the riff comes in and that, it's such a fucking fantastic song. That and um, Falling Off the Edge of the World. Uh-huh. Yeah. Amazing songs. Yeah. It, it's a different record than Heaven and Hell. It's got, of course, Bill is gone. It's got Vinny on it. Yep. Um, the title track is completely different to the Heaven and Hell title track. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like three minutes, just pure heavy yep. rock. Yep. But um, I just love what Martin d- did on this. He didn't, it, it's not the same record. It's Heaven and Hell, which was released a year before. Right. Um, it's a different sounding record. It's, it's just an, an an amazing record, and I'd I'd listen to this one more than Heaven and Hell. It just speaks to me more. Hmm. It, it, a lot of people will say, "Yeah, it's a fantastic record," but it's not Heaven and Hell. But they'll still say it's a fantastic album. Yeah, it, it's really really close to me. Which one is better than the other? Yep, yep, absolutely. Yep. You didn't pick that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Okay. All right. So we have to. We're up to three, right? My three. three? Okay. My number three. I had to, and it was tough. I was I went over and over and over again trying to go through these. So it, it was it was definitely it was tough. Um, it's obviously, going to be Deep Purple Deep Purple album, and there's some there's some really good ones in there. Um, they all have kind of their individual merits, uh, and just just it was one of those things. Like I said, of having that list and then that short list, and it's like, what the hell? Um, but ultimately, I pedaled all the way back to Machine Head. And it's, you know, if you think about the, the origins of that album, where that band was at, how that all came together, it's, it's mind-boggling that they came out with the album that they did. Moving from, you know, not even, I can't even say moving from studio to studio. It was like moving from like one like weird spot to another and, and all of that and having people in separate rooms and not being able to see each other and all that and, and being able to to uh, kind of make that all work. And granted, it was more, he was more the, you know, engineer role than he was the producer role on Machine Head. But still, it's, um, it's just one of these albums that, you know, there's like every track on there is a classic. And and I just think it was a... a, a Six-song album, isn't it? It's yeah, it's pretty short, yeah. yeah. But it's it's just 
you you think about all those songs. They're like almost every one of those songs gets played on like classic rock radio and stuff, or you know, guitar players they know well, half the, the riffs on there. And there's one of them that yeah that you are not, not allowed, allowed to try a guitar out with, <laughs> um, and everyone plays it wrong anyways. Uh, <laughs> but still, it, it's uh, you know, and just I just remember as a, as a kid like the first time hearing that and and just being like, holy crap, like amazing, and not even realizing that. And I think there's a lot of kids even today now that try to discover that or, you know, discover that music and don't realize that part of that heaviness of that, believe it or not, is frickin' Hammond with John Lord behind it, you know, just bolstering up that whole riff. It's a major, huge part of it. Um, you know, just even, um, which one is it? What, pedals? Yeah, it's not this. I've got, a, I've got another one, another pedal from EHX that basically does, it's got the deep purple organ sound. And you basically can, so I can play the, the, the riff. And it will play the organ sound behind my riff. Track me. You're cheating. <laughs> well, it's because I can't play organ and guitar at the same time. But to hear, like, I had, I had that, I had that pedal back when I had the house, and uh, I had Dave Reffitt over one night. He saw that pedal, and he's like, "Ooh, what's that?" And I explained it to him, and to hear him um, shred, um, like doing Speed King and stuff, and and doing the solos on it and playing it with that it was like holy crap it was and i think track's incredible it really does it you know i can remember back in the 80s when you try to do something like this and it was like you played single notes and they were really glitchy these things are freaking amazing um this one here actually will play a bass behind my guitar okay um but i've got i've got a couple but anyways um yeah i'm definitely a just a massive so gear slut machine head is what it's got highway star smoke underwater La- lazy's on it, isn't it? Space yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the only one that I'm like... Space trucking's on uh, it. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's, a, it's, it's, it's an amazing album, and I think that I think Martin did a great job. It's a tribute to how we get shit done, and it's a classic. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, what do you got for number two? Number two. Deep Purple. Uh-huh. Ah, Come okay. Taste the Band. I knew you were going to pick a Purple album. I didn't think it was going to be that one. Okay. Now, I'm... Do you know which one I thought you were going to pick? Burn. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of the Gillen era. Uh-huh. I'm a big fan of, you know, the Coverdale, Glenn Hughes, mm. Richie Blackmore, Burn, Stormbringer. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Steve Morse era. I, I absolutely love the band. I really like their new album, Wush, by the way. You should go get it. Um, but I'm picking this one because... Uh, I just love it. <laughs> it's, it's and this I love Burn and it is a great. It's different. It's it's a great. Yeah, um, I, this I, is the only album they did with Tommy Bolden, who replaced Richie, who was practically gone by the time they finished Stormbringer. Anyway, he didn't really want to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it shows on Stormbringer. Yeah, which is why I would say that you wouldn't pick Stormbringer. You but Burn is a totally different animal. I was close to picking Stormbringer. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I had an idea you'd go for one of the Gillum, the 70s ones. I thought you would have gone for In Rock. But, I, you know, I, again, it was going back and forth. Actually, you know, Burn was on my short list, too. I really do like that album. Yeah. Um, I just, I love You Keep On Moving. Um, and, and this time around, the, the last two tracks are amazing. And mm. I saw Glenn do, do some of these tracks when he did the, the Purple Show and the Tupelo. Oh, okay. And um, he just sings them 
you did get in tighter. Yeah. And that's a great track. Yeah, I, I just think this album gets overlooked a lot. It does. Um yep. because you know, a lot of some people will say, Oh no, Richie, no deep <laughs> you know, and you still hear it, even though Steve Morris has been with the band since ninety five or ninety four. Yeah. And he's done like I think seven albums with him. And I think the lineup they have now, yeah, with Don Airy and Steve Morris have uh-huh. done more records than any of the other lineups that the band have had. You could be right, yeah. Um but this album just I just think this album is amazing and I think it gets over, I think a lot of purple fans like they they lo- they like it but when yeah. it comes down to the wire they won't pick this one yeah. and this one just speaks to me I love it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I I I was really thinking you were going to pick Burn. I really, <laughs> I really was. Um it didn't it didn't influence my decision on anything else but I just thought oh, I bet Richie's yeah. going to pick Burn. Where did they where did they record this one? So he produced it and he mixed it with him pace. And it was Musicland Studios in Munich. Oh. That's, a, that's another thing I noticed when I was looking through the list. They were all reco- all these albums I'm picking were all recorded in different studios. Yeah, well, and even I mean, to have an album that sounds like that out of Musicland boggles my mind. Why? Because bo- Musicland is it's like a cold studio. What is it? A jingle studio or something? Well, it's it's a studio that was like in like a basement. Of a hotel, it's not there anymore. I don't think in Germany. Okay. And you like you go in through the parking garage and go down, and it's just got this weird vibe atmosphere. And so other bands that have recorded there too, they just you kind of like, what's up with this album? And then you find out, oh, it's it's Musicland. It just throws the vibe off on the band. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so for him to have that sound like that, because that's got like a that has like a really warm sound to that album. Yeah. And that's not a Musicland sound. Okay. So it's it's. Even there's things that, um, like on um, some of the Zeppelin albums, where they did a track or two at Musicland, and you can tell. It's it's just weird. It's And musicians will say that it's got this weird vibe to it, too, and it just it changes how they do crap. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, some studios are like that. Okay. So what do you got for number two? Well, I was going to say, we are number two? Yes. Yeah. Heaven and Hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was, you know, I I was a big Black Sabbath fan, um, you know, I can remember uh, my older siblings getting pissed when uh, at Christmas I actually got like, you know, Black Sabbath Volume 4 and things like that. And it was like, what the hell, what the hell's he got that for? Like, uh. and um, and so in a way coming off of that, I always felt like Sabbath, that that Aussie part of Sabbath, I don't feel the same way anymore. It's like, fuck them. But at that point, you know. I felt like, okay, that, that kind of Sabbath is like, was their Sabbath, right? Then along comes Ronnie, and it's like, that's my Sabbath. And, um, and just, to, just to hear that, hear the Sonics on there, you know, hear Ronnie playing, and, and you, it's still, again, the, the, that Heaven and Hell is kind of a, um, it's almost a development album in a way, because, you know, you picking Mob Rules is kind of like, they developed into that um, and then kind of fell apart again after that. But um, I just felt like, you know, heaven and hell came in and it was, that's my Sabbath, you know, and I, I love that album. I don't know how many different variations of it I have, but again, that's one of those ones where, yeah, I, I look at it and I go, okay, pick mob rules. I could pick heaven and hell. Uh, but, you know, even though, you know, I love the, Especially Mob Rules. I hear Mob Rules, I get fired up and stuff. But it's just heaven and hell. Just it's it's something else. 
every, everything, the cover, the music, people on it, everything. It just seemed to just be the whole thing for me. Mm. And uh, again, it's like anything else, right, with, with your memory. That was a, a common spot in time, and I really just freaking love that album. Different band when with Ronnie. Completely different band. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, could, amazing. They were... It's I'm, like I'm he, he, got the, he got their shit back together. Yeah. It was kind of like they were, they were like meandering. And then there was years where they meandered after him too. But he brought that, that something else in there um, because also he wasn't just a singer. You know, he, he knew how to play bass. He knew he was playing, you know, horn lyrics. sections and, and things like that. Yeah, he, Geezer didn't have to write yeah. lyrics. You know, so these kind of things. And he, he brought all that in. But I think he also brought in some, some direction as well. And, um, you, you know, even just still even, you know, the last two Heaven and Hell tours that, that they went out as Heaven and Hell. And, and these songs still hold up live. It's, they were still amazing. Now, that was the first album they worked on with Martin. So, wasn't it Black Sabbath? I believe it was. Yes. So you have to think that Ronnie had a hand in that because Ronnie would have been coming from Rainbow. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, if you look at kind of his discography, there's... There's definite, you know, threads of things because he did, um, he did the Cozy album, he did a Roger Glover album, yeah. you know. This, I think there's like threads throughout there of, of uh, oh wait a minute, you know, I work with Martin, he's a good guy, and I understand what he does, and and again, Martin, you know, I always go back and I think of of Martin's production, and I always think about that 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 mid and, and cor- being correct on the mids and respecting the mids, and that's where Ronnie's voice sits. So I think Ronnie's, you know being a smart guy probably was like this is the guy that can make it sound correct because you've got you've got this guy who's playing um a lower tune guitar you know you've got a bass player that's right in there as well you've got now you've got this really powerful this, there's a lot of sonic interferences there and we need a guy that can that understands the frequencies that can sort them out and he did and and in all honesty he sorted them out even better on mob rules I, what I'd love to know about the Heaven and Hell record is I'd love to know what the relationship was like in getting a performance out of Bill Ward because <laughs> Bill, by his own admission, was a complete mess yeah. at the time. Um, his best friend in Ozzy was gone. The style of music was different. Correct. It, it didn't really have that jazzy Correct. swing feel to Correct. it. It was more straight ahead rock mm-hmm. for want of a better yep. phrase it was a little bit more commercial i think a little bit more streamlined yep um and he was still able to get a performance out of bill on the record yeah which says a lot about martin yeah well and also i mean bill's an amazing drummer too um and if you're in a situation where that your jazz swing adds to that thing then i think bill went great i can do this thing um but he was able to step up on that as well and that is another thing too is that i do and probably what you like about Mob Rules too, I'm thinking, is is you do start to have that kind of that East Coast power thing. So you've got, you know, you've you, now you've basically got two Brits and two Americans, yeah. and there's kind of this this other mix. And it's also it evens out a little bit more as well because you don't have it's. I know Heaven and Hell is kind of like three Sabs and a hired dude, where Mob Rules is more a, a band, an equal band of, of two and two, you know? Um, now, granted, that kind of lent itself to that split of, you know, Geezer Tony work and then Vinnie Ronnie work and kind of thing. But, um, again, this was tough. I mean, I still, 
even the other day, I, I still have <laughs> Heaven and Hell and Mob. They're still like, yeah. I'm not sure which one I'm going now, with. Before we get on to our number ones, uh-huh. can you imagine what Martin would have done if he had done the Gill and Iommi album, Born Again? Because a lot of people give out about the mix on that. They hate it. Yeah, the mix is kind of... There's some good songs on there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the mix on there is... Um, I, I can't even remember who produced and mixed that. It's like... I can't, I can't describe it. It's like this raspy kind of mix. It's got this weird sizzle to the mix that doesn't belong on there. I know Gillen hates it. He's uh-huh. said it in, for years. He got, well, as he said, he got the record and just... When he heard it, he just threw it across the room and smashed well, it against the wall. He, I think he threw it as when he saw the stupid cover. <laughs> <laughs> that Crusher Jewel did that. Correct. Uh huh. But I, I, I'm pretty sure Gillen hated that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're at number one. All right, we're okay. up to number one. Number one, and I've got two albums. You can't have two albums. I know. I know. Okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on it. Iron <sighs> uh, Maiden's Power Slave. Ah. Um, this is one of my gateway records into metal. Okay. This, this and Live After Death. Okay. I wore the tape out. This is going to be interesting. Yeah. I, I, actually, <laughs> I, I, wore, I wore it out. Yeah. Um, I probably heard Live After Death first. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to pick a live record. And then I got this. And I... I a lot of people think that Iron Maiden have better records. Uh-huh. And I might even think they might have better records. Yeah. I'm picking this one because yeah. um, a lot of it has to do with the emotional attachment I have to this record. Sure. Um, some people might say Bon Jovi got him into metal or it could be Europe. It could be uh-huh. It could be Schenker. It could be Scorpions. It could be anyone. This is one of the big albums that got it, got it for me. And if you want to hear about Europe, go back to last week's episode. Yeah. Um, this was live after that was obviously recorded on this tour. Yeah. Um this is Martin's what? He'd done Killers, he'd done Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind. This is the fourth record in four years. Uh-huh. Which is in three or four years, which is yeah. amazing yeah. run run. Um I, I just think I I love every song on this yeah. record. Even the even the tracks that you know, don't get talked about very often. Even I love Lost for Words, the instrumental. Uh-huh. I love um, the Jewelists. Um, Rhyme of an Ancient Mariner is one of my favorite epic yeah. songs of all time. What I love about that is the way that song is structured and the sounds that Martin got in the studio. Yeah. And the way it builds up from the quiet part in yeah. the middle when the whole band come back in, it still gives me goosebumps when I listen I to was- that. I knew you weren't going to pick the same album that I, I picked. I knew that. But I wasn't sure whether you were going to go for that one or Seventh Son. Uh, Seventh Son was not the other one I was going to pick. I was going to pick Somewhere in Time. Hmm, okay. Because that, that was around the same time yep. as well. And I think Somewhere in Time was my first new Maiden record. Okay. And that that as well is an amazing. amazing it's a good one to go record, into, right? And it's a great cover to freaking look at while Fantastic. you're listening. <laughs> but I, I picked this one, yeah, because I think this one it sounds more like a band. Yeah, I think somewhere in time's got all the guitar synths and all that. All it that. does. And it does. It's um, Bruce didn't write anything on somewhere in time. Yeah, but the, it's got some good songs. The right, on it. holy oh, crap! Stranger in a Strange Land, yeah. Wasted Years. Yeah, but um, this is Ace's High on it in Two Minutes to Midnight. Uh huh. To start a record, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's a tough pick. 
Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't, Number of Beast didn't even come into consideration for me because I think there's a couple of uh, weaker tracks on that. Yeah. Um, Killers, I love Killers, same. Seven Son, I was all over Seven Son. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's aged as well as some of the earlier Maiden records because of, um, might be the, the keyboard sounds on it or something. Maybe. Um, it's got some amazing tracks on it. Yeah, I just, I just know that, in, that in you've influence. got a really keen sense of like melodicism and stuff. And that album, whenever I think of that, I always think of that. That seems to be more the melodic Maiden album to me too, just for whatever reason. Yeah, and then other people, are, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say anything more about Maiden because I'll probably say which one you picked. I'm not even <laughs> going to guess. Um, I'm going to assume it's not this one. It's not that one. Okay, so um, you go ahead. Then All right. I'm going to. I'm, I'm actually going to pause. I'm going to walk over to the albums because I got to pull it out. <laughs> this is a test of the emergency metal broadcast system. If this had been an actual metal emergency, you would have been instructed to don your nearest black t-shirt, throw the horns, and bang your head until the metal emergency had passed. We now return you back to your metal programming. All right, I'm back. So, anyone listening, knowing Richie and I, you guys probably already figured out right from the first frickin' minute of this thing that we were both going to have a maiden thing as number one. I didn't think you'd have it. I didn't think you'd have it as number one. Because, no, no, it's because if you, 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 I thought you would have gone for a, an album before Maiden, a seventies oh, record as your number no, one. no. It, it's this again. You know, it, it goes back right that you've got this. And you said it, like that was a gateway album for you, right? So the same thing. So for my number one, it was it was one of these things that went, holy crap, and, and made me look for a whole bunch of other stuff. So I was already, you know, really like, you know, metal was the thing for me. But this, when I pick this up, everything about it was like, holy crap. And I hadn't even put it on the turntable yet. But the other thing on this album, and I will frickin' remember this probably unless, unless I get Alzheimer's and I forget. I'll remember this till the day I die. That's why I had to go grab the album. So obviously my number one is Killers. Okay. But on the album. So here I am. I don't, I don't know who this band is. I don't know how it's going to sound. I turn over the back and I go, who the hell is this headmaster dude they have a picture of? Yeah. So this is... You know, I bought this like the week it came out and all this time I still re- I can still remember that on this album is frickin' Martin's picture. So it made this huge impression because there he is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he's on the inside of uh, Peace of Mind. You know, he's in the suit of armor with Rod Small. Right. But you look at that and you go, OK, here's all this band. You got this killer picture there. Right. No pun intended. And, and then you got this guy that they're calling the headmaster. Mm. And you look and you go, oh, he's the producer. Many, and many bands put producers' pictures on albums. Exactly. Right. So, uh, so here I am, young impressionable idiot, as opposed to an old impressionable idiot like I am now, and this has stuck with me all these years. So even before I put that on, I'm like, I don't know who this Martin dude is, but he must be amazing to have these guys put his picture on an album because uh-huh. I've never seen this before. So already I was like 
intrigued at that. And of course, you're talking about when there's no internet and stuff. So the only time you see Martin's name again is when an album comes out, or maybe it's in, uh, you know, it's in Cream or it's in Kerrang or it's in Metal Hammer or whatever. You don't have much information. But the fact that back at that time, his name already registered in my brain. So that's part of why this album is my number one. It's because this is when Martin came truly into my sphere. Like before this, I'd heard Machine Head. I didn't think about who the hell the producer was. I could tell you who the guitar player was, you know, all that shit. But producer, nah, I couldn't tell you. But here's an album that came along that I knew there's this Martin dude. And he just did it. And, 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 and then I go back and I listen to, you know, the original album. And you can see what he did for Iron Maiden. So I almost, it's kind of like my joke, right? That if, if Will Malone had gone ahead and produced this album, then he would have done the same thing to this album that Post Malone just did to Ozzy's album. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, uh, you know, and uh, granted, there's a lot of bands that, you know, like their first album out, you know, you look at even with Sabbath. I mean, they just kind of struck it lucky that they had someone that really didn't know what the hell they were doing as far as producing a band like that. And they made it good. And, and Will did okay for that first Iron Maiden album. And there's classic songs on there. But this is the one where, again, it goes back to that sonically, he figured out how to present this band the right way and actually put that power across. And it's got this kind of live, in-your-face, punchy feel that I think that Martin was the only guy at that time in their orbit that was able to bring this. And, and this is what I think put Maiden on the path um, and just and went along with it. But again, this is like a not just a gateway for me with Maiden, but it's a gateway for me with Martin, too, but in a huge way, because literally, freaking guys' pictures on the back. So that's kind of the, yeah, I know, it's stupid that I remember that that's what's on the back of this album. But What other Maiden album did you consider other than that one? Or was there any? The one no, you picked. <laughs> that one, the one you picked, that's fine. That's fine. There's a reason why I have three versions of that album on vinyl. I love that album. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great album. It is, yeah. It's classic. Yeah, I mean, um, you, I mean, I could have just gone. Oh, you, you, you I want got, that one. I want that one. I want that. You know what I mean? But yeah, you were a couple of years older than me, so yeah. I, I got into Maiden a few years later than right. you did. So this is my one. Right. Um, it's just the way thing, things happened. I, I, I'll tell you a, qu- a quick story. So I bought Power Slave and Live After Death and Killers. Uh huh. So I put on Power Slave and then I put on Killers, and okay. halfway through the first song, it dawns on me. It's not fucking Bruce Dickinson. I didn't know. <laughs> I was only fucking 15 years yeah, old. Yeah. Like, who the fuck's this singer? And then I'm like, fucking Paul Diano. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, the innocence of youth. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I think this was a great idea to do. Um, if anything, it was great to just go back and jog my brain about, you know, why do I like that album? You know? I mean, it, it helps me as, a, um, you know, for doing production and for mixing and as a musician to also go back and go, what was it about that that spoke to me? So this was like a, a cool thing to do for, you know, for a lot of reasons. Hmm. And again, there's a lot of albums that we didn't mention. Oh, yeah. That we absolutely love. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's tough. I mean, you look at just <laughs> really just, fucking just look at the Maiden catalog and you, I mean, okay, maybe it's a bad example because Maiden was always going to be this album. Um, it, you know, and it was kind of, you know, do I pick another Maiden album too or not? And it was kind of 
that kind of a of a process. Um, but yeah, the, I'm the guy really has you know really made a legacy uh, of stuff that he's done, which is which is amazing. And um, I don't, I mean, there's a lot of producers that do great work. I mean, you know, we had we had Chris Sangaridis on. Chris has done some amazing stuff as well. Um, and he's, he seems to always, you know, he always delivered and stuff, but I'm not sure if what he did stands up the same way, um, as what, what Martin did. Um, it's almost like a kind of a, of a, of a game changer. You know, you got guys like Keith Olson again too, and Keith did a lot of stuff too. I think the difference like with somebody like Chris or with, with Martin is that, um, Keith had all the tools. He had great studios. He had good night, cool. LA. He had, he had great gear. City. Yeah, he had, yeah. You know what I mean? And he um, had a great. He had Shea Baby, I think, was his engineer. He had a really good team. Yeah, and you, you know, you look at some of the stuff that you know, like Chris did with Maiden. I mean, yeah, I know, I know. I've got Maiden on the brain, but uh, couldn't help myself. Slipped out. Yeah, I know. I screwed up. You, you guys know. You guys are all metalheads. Uh, do I really need to tell you that I'm really talking about Chris working with? Uh, with the priest, I mean, come on, we're we're all in this uh, this metal game together. But yeah, I know. Like I said, Maiden on the brain, Martin on the brain. But uh, you guys know, right? Okay, fall on my sword. I screwed up, and let's get back to the chat once again. Chris, I had to rebuild a freaking studio in Spain before we could start working. Yeah, you know what I mean. He still pulled it off. So, um, you know, and I, and you always talk about you look at. Uh, there was always this comparison between like the American studios and the English studios, and I know I could go down a gear rabbit hole on that as well. But um, that Martin was able to do what he did with what he had is is also amazing, and it's basically because he started like a chef. He started with the best possible ingredients, and he made See, them work. I I don't think Martin has what you could call a bad sounding record. No, I don't think he has an album that that sounds of the time and hasn't aged well. Like, you, you listen to some of the 80s records, right? And at the time, they were amazing. Yep. Right? Some of the, maybe some of Keith Olsen's, maybe one or two of Bo Hill's. This, this, um, they yeah. just have that 80s sound. The thing with that, And he I doesn't. Think, yeah, the thing with that is that I don't think Martin ever had the... the, the um, Reverb. No. I was it was an R E word though, um, which is the record company like interference or push that we always, you know, when you talk to people you say, Hey, what did the record company do on this? And you know, so you when you start talking about like Bo or Tom Warman or or, you know, a lot of those guys, you had this thing where it said, Okay, you're gonna you're gonna we want you to use chorus. We want you to use a keyboard wash, we want you to use the reverb, um, you know, all this stuff that that now you look at it and go, I mean, at the time we were like, oh, yeah, this is freaking awesome. But now you look and go, oh, I know when that was made. Where his is really that still that classic, not a lot of other things going on on top of it. It's that very live sound, and it's kind of the it is what it is kind of a thing. And, and um, so it, it does stand up. But it's also that the songs are good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? I think what you have to take into consideration with Martin mentioned record companies you need to look at the personalities of the guys he was working with yeah no, they'd all tell the record company to fuck off uh-huh. deep purple yeah. Dave, david coverdale yeah maybe shanker iron maiden rod smallwood was uh-huh. like 
we'll we'll do the album and you're not hearing it until well that was the other thing too it isn't just i mean you're right you're 100 percent right on that but also those artists that he's working with um you look at what they did and the growth that they had and the creativity that they had i mean you take you take um you know the 1987 album from white snake and you compare that to um love hunter and they're night and day different i can't pick saint sentence because he reworks and stuff and threw it on 1987 but it's you know what i mean and they they he he had different players they brought something into the mix there was this more this blues based thing and it, and it morphed in and all that and yeah i think there was also once you got to slide it in the thing of okay we need to americanize this we need to get a more commercial that's value out of this. Involved with Coverdale. Yeah. Um, but you look at Deep Purple. I mean, album to album, those guys changed. They grew. They decided to do, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, you know, you listen to, again, like you listen to, you know, today with a band with all the other stuff they had on Machine Head, would you put Lazy on there? They probably wouldn't. You know, if it was a deep record company involved, there's no freaking way that would have been on there. Um so I think there's, you know, there's things like that, too, where um, you just have these bands that just, they did what they wanted. And, and, and um, musically, they did what they wanted. Maiden always did what they wanted. And, and they had Rod Smallwood to go, yeah, they're going to do what they want. So um, I think that all ties into helping Martin have the best possible outcome. Maybe that's why one of the reasons Martin stopped. Maybe. He, he didn't want record company interference. He's like, I, I, it doesn't work for me. I don't want that shit. Yeah, the other thing too is I, I know I don't know, um, you know what he how he uh, made his living on it. You know, a lot of producers back then they were doing points. You know, some of them would. You know, there's there are plenty of producers that go, "Yeah, crap, I wish I would have taken points for that album. I took a straight payment, and uh, you know, and it did great." And like, well, fuck me, as opposed to getting. So I don't know how what Martin's deals were on there. You have to think that when Maiden wanted him to work exclusively with them, mm-hmm. that they must have paid him well. Because he would have been doing nothing for a year. Yeah. And then they do a record, and then he'd do nothing for a year. So they, they would have, he could have been doing something else. So yeah. They would have to pay him. Rod would have to pay him well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, this was fun. Yeah, this was a damn good idea, man. Yeah, I'll come down next week. Another fight. <laughs> <laughs> and if we didn't pick your favorite record... Just our opinion, folks. That's right. That is correct. All right. I think this was definitely an awesome idea from uh, Richie to get together and uh, do something like this. And I think it's been a long time since we've had a good, solid, hour-long discussion about something that we can really get into and enjoy talking about. And, you know, unfortunately, it took a passing of Martin Birch to bring it on. That kind of sucks. But anyways, I think, again... Great idea from Richie to uh, to be doing this one. Lots more good stuff on the way as Focus on Metal is once again after our summer break back in action again, bringing you some good stuff. And yep, here we are, like three weeks in, and Richie's already getting the uh, the calls and the emails from all kinds of uh, folks wanting to uh, get their acts on the phone, or sometimes the acts themselves calling and saying, "Hey, uh, you know, can we get on there?" But great stuff. Uh, you know, just on their way into your little metal ear holes coming up in the next few weeks. So, uh, yep, uh, we are definitely back in action. Didn't think it was going to ramp up this quickly, but it did. But anyways, for this week, 
That is it. It's a wrap. Stick a fork in it. As always, this puppy is indeed done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. Be safe out there. And like we always say, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.